1: Hi everyone it's mine rolling i'm Ragu Marcus, as you well know by now, and i've got with me an old friend and we haven't uh we haven't done this in a while mickey lemley Mickey welcome
0: thank you Ragu
1: and uh mickey uh as many of you know, probably from uh, all the work that Mickey's done, and and his connectivity to Ramdas, of course, uh, has just done an amazing new film with uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, called "The Last Dalai Lama." It has a question mark at the end, which is uh, something we'll get into here uh, when we chat. Um, but. Um, uh, I think uh, many of you, of course, know because of Ramdas the film that Mickey did, Fierce Grace, which uh, is uh, pretty much a defining movie. Whenever we uh, anybody wants to know more about Ramdas and what happened with his stroke and all of that, we immediately turn them on to Mickey's movie, yeah. which is so fabulous. So. Uh, and, and Mickey's done other films. All of them are great. And uh, he did a film with His Holiness called Compassion in Action uh, a number of years ago, uh, which is an interesting, uh, the way that these two films sort of not interact but um, stand as bookends to each other is, is also something I want to talk to you about, Mickey. But uh, just let me know a little bit about what prompted you to do another film on His Holiness.
0: Well, uh, when I made it's "Compassion in Exile." Um, when Compassion I made Compa- in
1: Action. I said, yeah, that, 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 "Is that Trump or Rinpoche?
0: Eh, that's probably a book by about somebody else. But anyway, um, uh, twenty-five <laughs> years ago, when I when I made the movie "Compassion in Exile," uh, nobody had done a movie about His Holiness, a major movie about His Holiness at that time. Um, and he wasn't the world rock star that he is today. And um, for multiple reasons, I thought it would be a great movie. Um, I'd been thinking about it for about eight years or, or more. I, I first met His Holiness in 1984 at a conference in Switzerland. And there was a small reception for, for him after he gave a talk. And uh, I was fortunate enough to meet him in person. And I was just blown away by how funny he was. He was just not at all what I expected. He is, he's very, very funny. Um, very surprising in his humor. And, um, uh, and, and just one of the most fascinating human beings I'd ever met. He, he has this aura of presence. You just feel it when he comes into a room. There might be a thousand people in the room and you feel it. But w- when you're close up, and you shake his hand. It's, it's, it's palpable. And I'm sure a lot of the people listening to this uh, have met powerful, uh, charismatic people, politicians or celebrities, and they too might have an aura, um, which you can feel. And they'll look you right in the eye, and you're the only person in the room. But you can actually see the wheels turning, and they're thinking. Who is this person, and how can I use them for me?
1: <laughs>
0: but with His Holiness, you—you, you, he's looking right into your soul, and he's thinking, "Who is this person, and what do they need? How can I help them?" So you're just overwhelmed by this sense of kindness. And actually, when I was interviewing his sister, I said, uh, "You know, so so what do you call him? Like bro, or..." or you know, and and she said, "Oh no, 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 no! We call him Kundun, which means the presence."
1: Wow, I didn't know that.
0: Oh. So, so that you know, there was a lot of an incentive to make the first movie. And twenty-five years ago, we felt like, if the world only knew what was going on in Tibet with the, the Chinese occupation, that something would have to change about it. And twenty-five years later. Things haven't really changed, except that they've gotten worse. And since then, um, over 150 Tibetans, mostly young people, have immolated themselves, set themselves on fire in protest to the Chinese occupation. And so things are are very dire for the Tibetan culture and traditions, Um, and and His Holiness has changed over the last 25 years, and I've changed. Um, and um, I, I thought maybe it was a good time to do an, a new movie about him. Uh, I, I'm a member of the baby boomers, and as a friend of mine says, they're starting to shoot at our regiment now. So we're, we're, we're you know, we're we're, we're, we're we're all dealing with aging and dying. And so I figured, as a gift to my generation, why not ask the world's most conscious person how he's dealing with it? Because he uh, he actually in July just turned 82, and we filmed uh, around his 80th birthday. Hmm. So um, uh, anyway, so there are multiple reasons. Um, also, I've I, I get I've been fortunate enough to see him pretty much every year, and I've. I've observed in the last few years there's a kind of urgency to him uh, talking about what's important to him. And I thought maybe it would be good to capture that and amplify it to the world. Mm.
1: What do you see? uh, What are some of the differences, and not just the the big differences with His Holiness, regarding what's gone on in Tibet and regarding his now not being involved in the political scene? Uh, but what do you see from then to now?
0: Well, one of the big things is 25 years ago, I was at, um, uh, he, he would, he, he met with, um, cutting edge neuroscientists. Um, and he challenged them, uh, pretty much, I think it was like 25 years ago. He said, look, we Tibetans have been holding this knowledge about how to overcome afflictive emotions, negative afflictive emotions, like anger, jealousy, hatred, greed, uh, violence, uh, ignorance. He said, we've been holding this this knowledge and now it's time to, to give it to the world. It belongs to everybody. But if it comes from one spiritual tradition, the others won't buy it. So he challenged these scientists. He said, explore these methods he didn't say prove it, he said explore it. Mm-hmm. And if you find value in it, spread it as widely as possible. And it's no coincidence that that was about, that was the start of this mindfulness movement that's spread all over the world now. Mm-hmm. Um, and these, a, a, a bunch of these cutting edge neuroscientists have been studying this using MRIs and all the technologies of modern mm-hmm. neuroscience and have shown definitively that, that your level of happiness is not something you're born with. It's something that you can increase. You can increase your level of happiness. You can increase your compassion. Uh, that the brain is malleable. It's, it's called neuroplasticity. And it can rewire itself. And um, so these technologies that the Dalai Lama, uh, that the Tibetan Buddhists have been holding, Um, it's, they've now shown that it actually works and just, um, the, the voice that we all hear in our heads, we all think is telling us the truth, but really it's just our minds, uh, organizing phenomenon and creating a reality for us, but we think it's the truth. So we, we might say, we might see somebody and say, you know, that guy's a real jerk. And then the next day, you see him say, you know, that guy's a real jerk. And and, and science has said, and I have no idea how they've shown this, but that 95% of the thoughts you have today, you had yesterday. So we just keep rethinking the same thoughts over and over and over again, which in a way is very reassuring. So if you see this guy, you say, you know, he's a real jerk. You say, I've always thought he was a jerk. I am so smart and so perceptive that I know that this guy's a jerk. And it's just your mind creating that reality and one of the great advantages of uh the that you that one gets from a, a meditation practice is that you start to observe how your mind creates these thoughts how these thoughts rise in your mind and 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 the hounds are back i hear <laughs> um and and um and, and and one starts to identify with the witness to the thoughts and not with the thoughts themselves, and 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 that is actually the technology for overcoming negative afflictive emotions, and in fact it's also the technology for world peace. Uh, the Dalai Lama said, you know, somebody asked him if there, that if we would have world peace. He said yes. He said eventually he said all that's required is for each individual human heart to be trans transformed. He said, it's a long process, but it's the only way. And, um, so there, there's the technology and it's, and and it's now being spread. And I thought, and so a, a good portion of the movie is, uh, dedicated to that looking at, uh, these two, uh, Emotional psychologist Eve Ekman and her father, Paul Ekman, both renowned uh, psychologists who the Dalai Lama commissioned to create a map of emotions or an atlas of emotions so that you can start to see how your emotions work and how they create your reality.
1: Yeah, there's a. I wanted to talk about uh, the Ekman's, uh, that part of the movie, and, and it was qu- also quoted by the review, that wonderful review that you got in the New York Times, uh, that was done on the film, rather, and uh, it pointed to that uh, little part of the movie. I mean, the affection that His Holiness, I mean, who is so affectionate uh, all the time, e- every time I've seen him, and, and I actually have seen him a lot, but never one-on-one, uh, but I've never felt a loss in that way. I mean, I've been very fortunate obviously to be with Neem Karoli Baba and Karmapa 16th and and so on. So you know it would be hard for me to feel a loss on any level. but because he is so connective doesn't matter. as you mentioned, it could be a huge audience or a one on one you you absolutely are uh, he connects with everybody. and so in in the film, uh, this connection with actually his daughter, uh, Paul's daughter, I guess. Uh, not,
0: not His Holiness's daughter. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> just, just wanted to make that clear.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it won't be like Ramdas suddenly finding out he had a son. No, I had a, not, not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so I just wanted to let you know, and I'm sure you know this story, but it's r- worth repeating. Um, I did a podcast with Paul because of what I saw in the movie, and I loved uh, his whole thing around emotions, and I thought it would be very instructive and informative for for, for all of us to share who, who listen uh, on the Be Here Now Network and Mind Rolling. And um, he told me a fascinating story. How many times, for instance, have you heard His Holiness say, I do not have any psychic powers, or I do not have any powers, Right doesn't he? Yeah. He says that all the time, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't believe it, but he says it.
1: Yeah. So meanwhile, Paul Ekman says to me, I have had a horrible uh, affliction my entire life around anger, mm-hmm. which piqued my interest because I also have, have had affliction. I mean, m- most of us do in one way or another, but uh,
0: I, I, I think his mother committed suicide and he blamed his father,
1: uh-huh. who, who,
0: who was very overbearing and uh-huh. And abusive and Mm. and so he had this lifelong anger issue
1: Mm. so he sat he just it was just in the process of meeting him he he got the opportunity to meet his holiness and he just sat next to him and i think his holiness just held his hand for some time and after that meeting he said to me i don't know what to tell you i'm a scientist But after that meeting and after he held my hand and we sat next to each other, I never had that problem again. Did did he tell you that?
0: Yeah. uh, I I did a long interview with him, him, which uh, is actually not in the movie, but it's an extra on the DVD. Mm. And and he he told me that story. And, um, (laughs) you you know, because you've been with with, uh, Neem Crowley Baba and, and the Karmapa and stuff, I have heard this and and I'm a filmmaker, I'm not a scientist and I have no way of 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 proving any of it but I I've, I've heard that if you if you have a petri dish and you put a cell from your heart into the petri dish it will beat and 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 if you put another cell from another heart in the petri dish it will beat at 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 a different syncopation mm. but if you put them near each other they syncopate and they start to beat the same. And I believe, just through just through my own experience, that when you're around these great beings, that your heart starts to beat in sync with theirs. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Yeah, uh, that's a wonderful analogy too. But let's go back a little bit because I want uh, to my uh, question around the difference. Uh, between your first encounters and doing that first movie, Compassion in Exile. You should do one, Compassion in Action, okay, Mickey? This is my next project. (laughs) Uh, And and the new movie, uh, The Last Dalai Lama. But just uh, on a personal level, what you were actually in, in connection with him on a personal level from that time to this time.
0: Well... I have to say that every movie that I've been blessed to make with these great beings, I can see my worldview shift. Um, it, it happened, you know, spending time with Ramdas, obviously initially with Joseph Campbell, uh, with Sir Lawrence Vanderpost, with His Holiness, um, and when I did um, Compassion in Exile, I could I my worldview shifted and I got from that experience of, uh, and let me just back up for a second. It's not just that I spend time with these beings filming, which is phenomenal. And, and I remember every shooting day, um, uh, partially for all the stuff I didn't get and what went wrong, but, but I do remember every shooting day. And, um, but I, then I get to edit. So I sit in an editing room watching these great beings all day long for eight hours a day, five days a week for maybe a year. And, and I'm, and I treat editing as a meditation. So when, when I'm about to watch a, a sequence or the rushes, which is the just raw material, I totally empty. And uh, like, I'm getting ready to meditate. And cause I want to watch it as if it's for the first time, because as the director, I have to put myself in the position of the audience who will be seeing it for the first time. Um and and so I'm I'm really meditating on the deepest questions in my life. And I feel really blessed. I mean, how many people get to say that their work every day is, is to meditate on the issues that keep them awake at three in the morning and and, and as it's uh proposed by some of the great minds on the planet. Anyway, so so after the the first movie, Compassion and Exile, I really got that 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 happiness comes from service. Mm-hmm. It's 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 not from getting more stuff or, you know, winning awards or whatever. It's about helping people. And this last time around uh, on the last Dalai Lama question mark, I really got this all this. Uh, stuff about how we create our own reality uh, th- through our minds and that it, it, uh, uh, I felt like in a way that was also one of the major themes of, of fierce grace is because it, it you know the, the one thing that I felt connected each of this, the, the phases in Ram Dass's life was um, his understanding both of, first as a psychologist, and then as as a religious seeker, and then as somebody per, devoted to service, and then as, as somebody with a stroke, that he really, this really gets that you create your own reality through a projection of your mind. And, and I have to just say, you know, the average life expectancy for somebody with a stroke like his, uh, being paralyzed on one side and uh, some speech aphasia. I think it's three to five years. And he's now, I think over 20 years having had this stroke. 20 years. Yeah. It it was, I think it was 20 years in February. And, um, I, I don't know if anybody keeps a record of this, but this is phenomenal, you know? And, and so when I, when I did, uh, uh, the last Dalai Lama, I really got that we create our own reality with our minds, and so um, after I'd finished the film about a year ago, um, I, I had two things that I wanted to do on the same weekend. One was in Denmark, and one was in England, and I debated for a, a, a while as to which one I want—I I really wanted to do—and I, I, I chose to go to England to this uh, a wedding of a friend of mine, and. Immediately, I regretted not going to Denmark. And so when I get into regret, I can spiral very quickly into all of my life's regrets. The girls in high school I never kissed, (laughs) you know, the the movies I didn't make, the the turns I didn't make, you know, and and I can I can get lost in it for days. Um, And so what I found that summer while I was in England with my friends in a beautiful place was anytime I started a sentence in my mind with, if only I had, I was destined to at least four hours of misery. <laughs> so I caught it. I learned to catch it hmm. after the first sentence. It's like, if only I had. And then I said, okay, you've got a choice. Do you want to spend the next four hours in regret or do you want to enjoy your friends? And, and so that's what I got from this last hmm. go around.
1: No, that's terrific. And it's interesting too. I mean, because you're you know talking about. I mean, the, the, one of the core premises in the movie is the Tibetan Buddhist technology for overcoming afflictive emotions. Uh, is is really um, something extraordinary to uh, share with your audience. I mean, it's ex- this this ability, this technology that they have. Developed over these many, many, many centuries, and and as you say, the fact that you are in there in the trenches making this movie with him, and at the same time, you're absorbing for your own being these teachings, uh, is uh, there's a lot of grace there, Mickey. That's for sure.
0: I, I I I feel really fortunate. I must have done something right in my previous lives. Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh i mean isn't it uh are talking about that i mean the only reason isn't it amazing i mean i we i don't know if you and i have talked about this but i'm sure this has occurred to almost everybody who has partaken with tibetan teachings in the west and that's the idea that only because the chinese took that action and did what they did are we having the benefits of this incredible ancient technology what a yeah. what a crazy thing right it,
0: it, it's you know when when the fifth when the great fifth he's called the great Fifth Dalai Lama and he built the Patala palace uh, mm. that we, we in all the pictures and when he died they were still working on the, on the patala on the palace and his the, the people the regents knew that if word went out that the dalai lama was dead all the work would stop and it would never they'd never finish it Hmm. so for 12 years they didn't tell anybody that the dalai lama had died no no and and nobody knew He, he was he was that you know uh isolated or or you know kept that removed and you know uh so we've been absolutely blessed by the Dalai Lama, his teachings, the way he's he's affected so many things in the world. I mean, he's uh, there's a sequence in the movie uh, that we shot in uh, British Columbia in Vancouver of two schools. Yeah, um, fantastic and, part. <laughs> and, and and that's that all started. There was a, a conference, a panel on education in Vancouver in two thousand five. And His Holiness was on the panel with Desmond Tutu and Zalman Schachter and people. And when it came time for His Holiness to speak, it was almost like a throwaway comment. He said, you know, I look at, at, at Western education and it's really good at training minds, but it's not good at training hearts. And a trained mind without a trained heart can be very dangerous. Mm. And from that moment, they instituted a policy in Vancouver to teach social and emotional training, uh, as 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 required, and and so it's now spread to all of British Columbia. It's it's mandated mm. that they must teach social and emotional training in every school, K through college, and now it's beginning to spread through all of Canada, and and hopefully it'll spread. You know, if, if, unless we build a wall against it. Uh, <laughs> no, you know,
1: I, I'm from Canada. We're building the wall. To keep in, the to, Americans yes, out, exactly, yeah. In
0: case Trump runs for a second term, yeah. But, um, uh, but that's you know, it's, it's already spreading. Some woman, uh, was it a screening? It, the, the movie's now out in theaters, and I, I just mm-hmm. need to plug it. Uh, yeah. if you look look at lemleypictures.com, L E M L E pictures.com, you can see it, the theaters that it's showing in. Uh, you can see where it's coming, and there's also a place at the bottom to request it to come to your community. Um, so I highly recommend that. Um, but this woman in New York, in one of the audiences said we're now doing this in New York. So, um, and our good friend Danny Goldman
1: is instrumental in a lot of it. Uh, yeah. no, as, terrific. As, Absolutely. Uh, uh, so, given all of this, Mickey, how... You know, I was just thinking about this before we got on uh, to chat. You know, the title of the movie with the question mark, The Last Dalai Lama. How in the world? (laughs) I can't even conceive of a world without his holiness. I mean, it's staggering to, to his influence and is so pervasive through uh, so many stratas of society around this world and and what he gives. I mean, I can't conceive of it, can you? I mean, I,
0: I, you know I, I mean, look, this particular incarnation, he's the fourteenth incarnation of the Dalai Lama. And um, you know, I, I I think that years from now, after he's gone, we're all going to marvel at the fact that he was alive when we were alive, that he was walking on the planet when we were walking on the planet. It's like, you know, somebody like Gandhi. I mean, I think he wasn't really appreciated fully for what he did until after he was gone, you know, and Martin Luther King and, and, you know, for that matter, Jesus and the Buddha, you know, um, uh, and, and that was part of the impulse to make the movie is that this, um, you know, 20, 30 years from now, when people want to know who was perhaps the greatest Dalai Lama and who was perhaps the last Dalai Lama, they're going to turn to my two movies. And, um, you know, as, as part of understanding who this great being was that, that, that walked, walked with us and, um, and taught us so much. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I've heard I've known him for 35 years, and I, I've heard him say many things at different times about his reincarnation, whether or not he was going to reincarnate as as the Dalai Lama. Just to, to clarify, all Hindus and all Buddhists believe in rebirth, but it's only the Tibetans that believe that a being or can reincarnate into a position like the Dalai Lama. So, like in Tibet, uh, like the head of Harvard Medical School would be a reincarnate position. So that when the the head of Harvard Medical School would die, instead of getting together an academic search committee to find the (laughs) candidate, they would get a group of Rinpoches and Llamas together to go find a two and a half year old. And that kid would go through a 23 year course of of study, uh, ending with virtually a doctorate in philosophy. They'd also be trained in some of the technologies of what their position was going to be. But also, one thing that intrigues neuroscientists today, and they're looking into, is that these children, these young children are called Tolkus, and part of their training is meditating on compassion every day, starting when they're about five, and it's while their brains are in formation, and so what's the effect of meditating on compassion while the brain is being formed? Because if you put one of these talk when they're in their twenties or thirties or forties or whatever in a, in an MRI machine and, um, and what they do is they show pictures of happy human life, you know, puppies and picnics. and, And then all of a sudden there'll be a picture of like some, a war or some atrocity. And the part of the brain then that, that, Controls compassion lights up. If if you feel any compassion, if you're a sociopath, it doesn't light up at all. But for 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 us us people, it would light up. For these monks and tulkus, it it takes up a huge amount of space. So um, and they've also shown that with just a few months of meditation training, meditating on compassion, that you can increase the amount of of your brain that lights up when when you see these pictures. Mm. So it's not, as I said earlier, it's not something you're born with. It's
1: it's something you can learn. It's like mm. a skill. Yeah, cultivation for sure, which is the purpose of practice. All That's why it's, practice it's called practice. Today. That's it's why called it's called practice. practice. Yeah, but but it is great that uh, we're getting, you know, through his holiness and, and the work he's doing with Richie Davidson and all these people and Danny uh, – that we are getting confirmation that you know around neuroplasticity, where you it is true that you can change. That just putting it in the most simple of terms, and uh, you know that that is a very uh, hopeful and promising thing uh, for all of us, especially in this world today.
0: Right, and when you say you can change, it's not because your wife is nagging you to change. It <laughs> starts, you know, hey, <laughs> put putting, stop leaving your socks and underwear on the floor it's changed for your own benefit. It's, it's, you're actually benefiting yourself. It's not for other people. Yeah. Although there is a benefit for other people, but it's, it's really so that you're happier.
1: Yeah. And you will probably pick up after yourself and get get the wife to stop nagging you. Probably that'll happen too.
0: Yeah. Out of compassion for your wife who (laughs) has to clean up after
1: you. Yeah, exactly. Um, so spent in this uh, the making of uh, the last Dalai Lama. Um, just tell us a little bit. Just some. I mean, you know, you're spending this much time. I know you went to India more than once. Uh, I remember you telling me that you were going on your way over there to to hang basically hang out with him and speak with him. And there had to be so many moments off camera or. Th- stuff that give us a little bit of spice a little bit of anecdotes around uh, interacting with him
0: well um after i made compassion in exile uh a year after i finished it it showed at the um uh the bombay film festival and then there was a week hiatus and it was showing at the first international film festival in Kathmandu. And I had been in the Peace Corps in Nepal, and I couldn't wait to introduce the movie in Nepali. And But I had this week, and I decided, well, what the hell, I'll go hang out with His Holiness. <laughs> what it, the hell, yeah. It, it, what the hell. And it turned out to be Tibetan New Year, which is their holiest day of the year. And I, I stay with his brother, um, who has a small guest house that used to be where his mother lived. Um and it's very charming. Um and one morning it was like five in the morning, he woke me up. He said, Come on, come on, come on. And I said, Where are we going? He said, Come with me, come on. And we went up to the roof of his temple, and there was the Dalai Lama sitting with a row of a hundred monks in the dark saying prayers and drinking chai and throwing barley into the into the air, blessing the new year. And then the sun came up, and as it broke the horizon over the foothills of the Himalayas, an eagle came and sat in the tree right behind His Holiness. And it was quite spectacular. And mm. uh, a couple of days later, I had a private audience with him. And I was I, I was going to ask him, I, I'd always asked him questions and stuff related to work because I was always working on the movie. But I'd seen a lot of people, when, when people would come, to me, uh, would come to me and say, I'm meeting the Dalai Lama. Uh, tomorrow. What should I, what should I do? I said, ask him, a, ask him a question. And they said, well, what should I ask? And I, I said, I don't know, but I would ask him the deepest question in your heart. The thing that keeps you awake at three in the morning, like don't waste it on, Hey, how about those nicks You know? <laughs> um, and, and, uh, uh, you know, you, you have a rare opportunity. It might be once in your lifetime. So take advantage of it because there's certain things that only he can answer, you know? So I I, I was going to ask him some, some technical things about uh, my next movie. But at the last minute, I just decided, look, I should take my own advice. And I was going through, um, I, I, I separated from my then wife and my child's mother. My son was three years old. We had tried to mediate for like a year and we got that close. And then she thought, well, if, if he's willing to do it, it must be a bad deal for me. And she just said, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm turning it over to my lawyer, who had been Mia Farrow's lawyer against Woody Allen. And no. she was like a terrible human being. And and, and I was trying to avoid court because I knew we were we were going to have a lifelong relationship, regardless of whether we were married or not, because we had a son together who we both loved and adored. Um, and so I asked his I asked his holiness about it. And he said, well, what, you know, what's, what's the problem? And I said, I just can't seem to reach her, you know, on a human level. It's like, there's this block of ice between us. And, and then he, 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 he asked me a bunch of questions about my son and all this other stuff. And he said to me, you, you must stand up for what's right. He said, you can't let people roll over you. Hmm. He said, just don't be attached to the outcome and and in in fact that's the same advice that krishna gives arjuna at the heart of the bhagavad-gita yeah, yeah. do what you do do it impeccably don't be attached to the outcome and it turned out to be just it, i realized i had to go to court i couldn't avoid that i had to get a good lawyer and and do that but i i had to let go in my mind of how I wanted it to turn out. Yeah. Mm. And so it it was actually, I I could relax thinking there was something else I could do to avoid court, Mm. And it worked, it worked out great. Um, uh, um, you know, after a a few months, um, my ex wife and I are are very, very good friends. Mm. Um, we, uh, she comes over for Christmas with my son and now in the last couple of years she's brought her new husband and it's just <laughs> the four of us and the, the, the Jew makes the Christmas dinner um, <laughs> um, and, 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 and I'll just tell a very quick story uh, when my son was um, about 10 and, and, and I got uh, by the way the thing that I was concerned about in, in the divorce was I, in New York State at that time, the rubber stamp was the father got to see the child every other weekend and Wednesday nights. And that's not being a real parent to me. So I fought to have what turned out to be the best custody arrangement possible. I I had nine straight days and then she had 12 straight days. I had, Uh uh, he came to me Friday night for the weekend, the week and the weekend. Mm. Then he went Sunday night to her for the weekend, for the week, the weekend and the week. And we did this from the time he was three. And anyway, so so one time when he was about ten, it was a Saturday, and she called me and said, um, you know, is, is Aaron there? We'd been away somewhere, and she, and she said, is Aaron is Aaron up? I said, yeah, he just got up. He's in the shower. I, um, I'm making omelets. Do you want to come have breakfast? She said, sure. So she lives just a few blocks away, and you know, it was no big deal. The three of us, we we had meals together all the time, and you know, so we're having omelets and chatting, and she said. I should probably tell you, um, I just got a new doctor and I put you down as my medical proxy. Mm. A- and I said, I am deeply moved by this ovation of trust. I mean, what greater trust could a person have in, mm. let me practice, pull the plug. And, <laughs> and my, my son said, dad. And, and then the next week, um, we were having just a minor disagreement about where Aaron, my son was going to spend Friday night for dinner because we both made arrangements so we're having a minor argument. And at, at one point I said to her, look, if you don't straighten up about this and you go into a coma, the first thing I'm going to have them do is breast implants. <laughs> and she, said, she said, you know, I, I really need to rethink this, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. so, I, we're very, very close. She just, uh, last week came to my birthday party with her husband and <laughs> you know, so it, it works out, you know,
1: mm. Yeah, well, a little blessing from His Holiness sounds to me like. Yeah. Mm, beautiful. So, since we're talk, we talked about you talked a little bit about first meeting with His Holiness all the all those years ago. What about first meeting with Ramdas? Um, I first met him
0: in the early '70s. I think it was like '73. I was on the vineyard, uh, staying with my friend Peter Simon, who's a photographer. Uh, old friend of, of Ramdas's. And he said, um, Hey, listen, there's this guy giving a talk in the local church uh, in Vineyard Haven tonight. You, you really should come. And I said, Well, who is it? And he said, His name's Ramdas. And I said, Oh, is he an Indian? He said, No, he's Jewish. <laughs> I thought, So I thought, right, I'm going to go hear some Jew with an Indian name giving a talk in a church. I said, you know, I've got. A, a lot of other things I really should be doing, like buying ice cream. and And my friend Peter said, No, 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 you really have to do it. So he convinced me at least to sit in the last row on the aisle so that after twenty minutes, I could leave and you know, uh, and tell him at least I had seen him. And four hours later, I was totally transfixed. Still, I, I mean my mind, for the four hours he talked, my mind never wandered to the past or the future or to anything else I could be doing. I was totally focused on every single part of the stories that he was telling. And he, you know, I'd read some philosophy in college, but this was the first time I kind of got it. And it's because he would wrap it in personal experience. And this, you know, he would go from personal experience to these metaphysical realms in a way that i would understand them and then back to his personal experience seamlessly and I'm, i i consider myself a storyteller and i've met three great storytellers in my life and he is certainly one of them because as i said the, the acid test is does your mind wander and and if it doesn't for you know several hours that's a good storyteller yeah anyway so the the Essence of this of what he talked about that night, I still remember all these years later, was that we're both human and divine simultaneously, and the 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 problem is if you go too far into being human, then you're just going to suffer. As as my Tibetan friends tell me, if you take on an incarnation, you're taking on suffering. You're gonna you're gonna get sick. You're gonna die. People around you are gonna die. Uh, you're going to hold on to your tech stocks way too long, you know things like that. Um, you're not going to be able to lose the 20 pounds your doctor tells you, and and, and so forth. Um, uh, but if you go Ramdas said, but if you go too far into being a divine, you run the risk of forgetting your zip code, and that that can become problematic. So that the art form is to dance in the tension between yeah. the two and, and hold them both. Mm and here I am, you know, however many, you know, 40 years later, still remembering it. Um, and, and I thought, well, we've got ourselves quite a boy here. And so every time he would be in a city where I was, I would go hear him and then I would do retreats in Western mass. And then I, I flew to Esalen one, one weekend to spend with him. And over time, you know, I was, he recognized me, but he, I mean, he didn't really know me, but, um, But then, um, and I can't remember exactly the year, it was before the stroke, he wanted to do a slide show because he was going to 36 cities every year and traveling all the time. He wanted to put together a a picture, still picture show with his voice. Hmm. And he was having some trouble with it. And several of of his friends said, you got to talk to Mickey about this. And so finally, they set it all up and I watched it. And I said, look, it's great. All you need to do is take the beginning and put it at the end and take the end and put it in the middle. And I basically restructured it for him. Mm. And at first he was like, wait a minute. And then he, he actually saw how it would work better. And then after that, we became friends and, um, he actually married me and, and my, uh, f- my former wife in a wonderful ceremony. Um, and, and we just became friends, mm. uh, after that. And, uh, I remember it was a couple of months after the stroke, and for those people who don't know, I mean, he, it was really touch and go for for the first month and a half. I mean, I know the doctors told Jai that he was either going to be a vegetable or die. He was never going to make any improvement. He couldn't swallow and couldn't speak, and you know, uh, was still paralyzed on half his body. And and little by little by little, he just made these improvements um, and I remember when I was interviewing him for fierce grace at one point I said RD I always thought that that Eastern wisdom traditions teach us that if you have expectations and your reality doesn't come up to your expectation change your expectation because the gap between the two is where your suffering lies so just change your expectation. so I said, I've been filming you doing physical therapy, walking therapy, speech therapy, aqua therapy, you know, and all of them are painful for you. I said, why don't you just accept the fact that you're in a wheelchair and um, you're not, you know, and and stop struggling. Hmm. And he he looked at me and he said, I, I, I said, accept it as God's will and stop struggling. And he said, I've learned it's also God's will to struggle.
1: Hmm. Wow. You, you know? never told me that. Well, so it, it,
0: it, yeah, no, it's it, I filmed it, and then you know, it, it, a film has its own structure, and mm. some fit, some great things just don't fit, mm. yeah. and so then only I get to know about it unless I do a podcast.
1: Yeah, well, he, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's doing that to this day, struggling. I mean, yeah. you know, and and he, he's. Uh, I have, n- uh, if I have one tenth of of the uh, courage to struggle in in that way and to uh, uh, bear the kind of pain and suffering that he goes through, I'd be very happy. I mean, he is really a. Uh, and for those of you out there, by the way, we're talking about uh, with Mickey Lemley about Fierce Grace, uh, a movie which is. Uh, the defining movie, uh, I mean, there's not a lot of movie. Yeah, there's movies about Ram Dass, but certainly the defining film about Ramdas going through this uh, very, very, I mean, as Mickey said, life-threatening and very difficult uh, passage over time of struggling to, to get back to a place where he could actually communicate in any way and share who he is. And, you know, Mickey, I think you'll agree with me. You know, many people say, you know, Ramdas used to be able to talk about it, quote unquote, the path, spirituality, the unraveling uh, like no one else. And now that he cannot express himself in that way, although he uh, we've been filming him for, you know, like 12, 13 years now on Maui. And he certainly has said a lot of great things that are that are tremendously uh informative and useful teachings for people. Uh but he is what he was talking about before the stroke. Right. I mean that's the simplest yeah. way to put it.
0: You know, um I I know I, I was speaking to people that would see him right after the stroke. He was in the hospital, I believe, for two months. And it was very touch and go. As I said, the doctor said he's either going to die or be a vegetable. But he was he wasn't going to improve. And I and he was right on the edge of, of dying. And one day Jai told me, he said, he he, he decided he wants to live. Hmm. And and I I believe and I, I, I've never actually asked Ramdas this, but I believe he thought I'm gonna come back from from this and show the baby boomers how to deal with it with with aging and and illness and death. I'm going to do it for them. You know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, it was just up to him. It's like, okay, you know, I'm out of here. Mm. But, but I think he did it in service and he's think of all the, the millions of people now that he's touched, uh, personally through the workshops, through the work you're doing, through the podcast and through fierce grace to a certain extent. Um, you know it's he's touched millions and millions of people and um you know as i said the the life expectancy of somebody with that kind of stroke is 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 three years four years something like that my 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 uncle had the exact same stroke my uncle was like a super macho he flew b-29s during world war ii when he was 22 you know he skied half the year and he could do chin-ups on the door jams and (laughs) He drank and ate, was a sybarite, was, you know, and he had the stroke and every single day he woke up in hell because he thought, this is, there's been a mistake in the system. This is not who I, who I am and not who I was supposed to be. And so he just suffered tremendously for the last three years of his life. And then just finally said, I'm done. I'm out of here. But RD has shown us that it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Mm -hmm. There's still... Grace, you mm-hmm. know, and w- when I was in the middle of making the movie, it was going to be called "Being Here Now." The, the that was the working title. And one day, I was at some reception and met a woman. Uh, I was just in the, mid- the beginning pr- part of the uh, making the movie, and she said, "You know, I—I I, I was a student of of Richard Alpert's at Harvard, and I followed him over the years." And she said, "I would listen to his teachings." but i never really totally believed him it all sounded nice but i didn't totally believe him she said since the stroke and i've seen how he's dealt with it i now believe him mm, so i thought here's this person who's been a teacher in some form or other for 50 years and to have all of his teachings validated because of how he's dealing with the stroke mm. is really is really grace and that that night i changed the title to fierce grace
1: wow. really <laughs> Oh man! And then, just to say, you know, Ramdas, tell everybody, uh, Ramdas, for years thought, uh, well, you gave me the stroke, and then allowed me to uh, work through it or whatever. And then one day he he actually went to India uh, to meet with um, to go back to Kanchi this this ashram where we all. Used to hang out with Nimkaroli Baba Maharaji, and to see uh, a, the resident saint there, who's a, uh, our our spiritual mother named Sidima, who's still alive today actually. And he went to her, and 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 he somehow mentioned the fact, you know, that Maharaji somehow got to her that Maharaji had given him the stroke, and she fiercely looked at him and said, Ramdas. Maharaji's not giving anybody a stroke, okay? (laughs) You nature. The stroke resulted in nature. In other words, whatever he was doing, and he was doing some not good shit around his lifestyle. If anybody, you know, you can see pictures. He looks better now than he did before he got the stroke. I mean, as wild as that sounds, and you know, I'm not. I'm being a little dramatic, but not that much. And Mickey knows that. She said, the grace was in you having, and she didn't say it in exactly these words, but you having, Maharaji gave you a perspective from which to transform the suffering. And and that was the grace. He gave you the grace to be able to continue. And part of it, I'm sure, is also, you know, his because his whole thing from the minute he got back from India the first time was about, I've got to give this pearl to everyone that I meet. That is the core thing that's inside Ram Dass that makes him who he is. And I'm sure it was the same, I'm going to use Maharaji's grace, and and I'm going to tough this out, and I'm going to struggle, and uh, I want people to, to use me as an example. I'm sure he's never voiced that, Mickey. I don't think he's, you know, at all. It just isn't. Is he just did it? He is doing it, you know. The,
0: the, it, yeah, that's his. That's his whole life. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah. Exactly. It's
0: it's, it's, the, it's the message of his whole life. Yep. For the last twenty years.
1: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Thank you for making that movie, and thank this movie is so great. Uh, the last Dalai Lama uh, question mark at the end. Question mark. Yeah. Uh, it is just absolutely wonderful. I can't. Urge people to go see it any more strongly uh, than uh, uh, out of connecting with his holiness in the way that Mickey did in this movie and allowing people in to never mind what he's saying and never mind even you know the whole thing around uh, the technology of the Tibetans and how he's you know passing that forward and getting it confirmed by sign- all of those things. You know what, Mickey? It's 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 the little touch where he places his hand on someone's cheek and and give the the love and compassion that is expressed in this movie is uh, it's just uh, it's it's extraordinary absolutely extraordinary and thank I, you. I thank you for it thank uh, you and i th- you know i i love him and i you know I, as i say i can't imagine a world without him right now especially the one we're living in let me tell you uh so uh, everybody, go to um, so Mickey. What's about it? Lemley Film?
0: Lemley Pictures.
1: lemleypictures.com
0: L e m l e Pictures one word dot com. Yeah, and you'll be able to. And, s- and there'll be a list of all the well, theaters where, where it's showing currently, and where it's coming. And as I said at the end, there's a if you fill it in and say, please bring it to, uh, you know, Asheville. The, bring it to yeah. Asheville please Exa- exactly you okay. can do that and yeah. and the distributors will pay attention
1: right. to that okay we'll do that and that'll all be up in the show notes on the mind rolling page on BeHereNowNetwork.com and by the way if you're having to be listening to this a year from, this is 2017 in, in August and if you're listening in February of 2018 by that time I'm sure Mickey's going to make it available and we're going to put it all up where you can download it or buy a DVD. Right, Mickey? Next year it'll Ex- be available. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: As soon as it's done with the theatrical run, the DVDs and downloads will be available.
1: Right. Perfect. Thank you so much, Mickey, for being Thanks, here. Roger. I love hanging out with you. And everybody, this is Mind Rolling, and we'll see you next week on the Be Here Now Network.